Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you're listening to another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And in this episode, we're covering off David O. Russell's Amsterdam, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. Now, Amsterdam weaves historical fact with fiction to create a comedic thriller about love, loyalty, and reasons to live in the face of amazing unknown true history, as it follows three tight friends and everyone they encounter on their adventure. Amsterdam is written and directed by David O. Russell of Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle fame, and it stars Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Alessandra Nivola, Andrea Riseborough. I might need you to take over. There's too many here. (laughs) All right, here we go. Anya Taylor-Joy, Chris Rock, Michael Shannon, Mike Myers is in there, as well as Taylor Swift, Timothy Oliphant, Zoe Saldana, Rami Malek, and finally, Robert De Niro. What a cast. What a cast indeed. We literally had to split that in two to get through. (laughs) Now, the film opens up, Lee, with the headline, A Lot of This really happened. Mm-hmm. Now, just a quick cue for you. Did you have any prior knowledge of the political conspiracy that this film ultimately explores? No, and even less so after watching the movie. <laughs> okay. We are on the same page. <laughs> I had no idea. My biggest takeaway was that Amsterdam is a state of 
being. Right. According to David O. Russell. Do you know what? I was going to wait to say this later in the episode to find the right moment, but I'm going to go for it. Okay. I was going to scream if they said the word Amsterdam one more (laughs) time. They probably said the word Amsterdam, not just in passing like a place where they are, but because it's a state of being, I think the film ends with the three main characters staring at the camera going, Amsterdam. Amsterdam, Amsterdam. <laughs> Actually, it was only two of them. Oh, was it? Christian, oh, well, it Christian Bale like, didn't. <laughs> it felt like it went on and on and on. I was like, okay, Amsterdam, we get it. <laughs> Speaking of the three main characters, Christian Bale, Margot Robbie and John David Washington. So this mm. movie is billed about three friends and their unbreakable bond. Yes. To me, it felt more like a couple and a hanger-on. Third wheel. <laughs> he was Christian Bale. Paul yeah. Bastard was the third wheel in this relationship right? between Margot Robbie's character and John David Washington. I don't think that the platonic relationship between mm. the three of them was explored as well as it could have. And to be honest, I don't actually know what they were doing gallivanting around Amsterdam well, after World War One. I. I know they were there to live a free life and mm. through the spirit of, of Margot Robbie's character. But it didn't really make sense. I mean, Christian Bale has a wife and children at home and he never went home after the war. Does he have children? I I think he mentions he had kids. No, I think he wanted kids, but his wife was a bit of a... I'm just... Oh, yeah, she was awful. I'm just making shit up. I'm just adding more characters to this (laughs) film like it needs one. Don't add more characters. There's already already too many. Amsterdam, yeah, it's a place where they could be free from responsibility and oppression to live a beautiful art field life and just enjoy all the joys in life. I quite enjoyed that aspect of the film and it's a shame they didn't lean into that a bit more. Yeah, that bohemian lifestyle. Yes. But it never went anywhere. And the significance of them, other than sharing that experience, I don't feel like it held any weight to the rest of the film. The fact that they spent all that time together and then reflecting on Amsterdam, it was almost just completely parked for the rest of the movie as the conspiracy and and all the political sort of hullabaloo that they go down, this sort of whodunit, whatever the fuck this movie was trying to be. I guess we should expand a little bit on the political undertones because the story is set in New York in 1933. It Mm. begins there as the rumblings of World War II are gaining momentum. Mm. And I guess what's running under that is the rise of Hitler. Yes. And his supporters that are starting to gather all over the world. Then it jumps back to 1918 during World War One, mm. and that's where we develop this friendship between the three of them. That's when you meet the main players in this story, yeah. how they got to know each other, the traumatising experiences that they had in the World War One trenches, and then how they meet Margaret Robbie's character who's a nurse that cares for them and pulls the shrapnel out of their bodies to create yes. <laughs> bespoke artwork. Yes. Which is a really interesting character quirk if I've ever heard one yeah. before. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of cool though. I thought it was pretty damn cool. Yeah. I-, I wasn't expecting it at all though. The film is packed with just such a high calibre of actors, mm. but it's trying to do too much. Gosh. You know, the underlying political plot is hard to follow mm. and it doesn't really become apparent until the end and then it's not really explained it's either. not really explained i have a note in my notepad that i wrote down while watching the film mm-hmm. and it is in capital letters mm. and it reads i am so lost <laughs> i had to write that down because i was i was lost yeah. and i had no idea what was going on 
in this movie and that is a problem. Yeah. And I'm hoping that either in this episode or offline you can kind of fill in some gaps <laughs> for me. I don't think I can, to be honest. Uh-oh. You know, there's some really nice sentiments in here about love, hmm. friendship and loyalty with these three friends at the heart of it, which I mm. really wanted to explore more. Mm. But it's just lost under too many characters and convoluted subplots involving fascism, racism, yep. anti-Semitism. You know, it, David O. Russell's films say a lot. They do. Generally, indeed. it's a lot about mental health. He's yep. a big mental health advocate. Mm. Here, I guess that kind of plays into a little bit with the war veterans and Christian Bale's character trying to help them as a doctor when he gets back from the war. Yes. Yeah, but it's just it's weighed down by so much dialogue and uneven pacing. Yeah, the pacing was horrendous. The scenes went on for so long. Just a lot of arbitrary dialogue between characters that I actually tuned in and out constantly of these elongated scenes that struggled to find its purpose. I think sometimes when that happens, when there's so much exposition in Mm. a film – it can come across like the filmmakers treating the audience like an idiot. Yes. David O. Russell's trying to be too too smart, too cutesy here. For us, yeah. For us. Yeah. Uh, The dialogue is just quite stilted and full of heavy exposition. And I wondered Mm. if it was trying to acclimatise to the period, like he's trying to write for that period. I'd wondered if he'd done a period film before. I guess he kind of has with American Hustle. That's a 70s set set film. But but I don't think he's done anything in this particular early century period, wartime era. Yeah, 1980. And then 1933, like you mentioned before. Mm. I'll give you an example of one line of dialogue. Okay. John David Washington's character says, let's move the founder of our regiment. So there's a man who's died Mm -hmm. and this is where the mystery all kicks off. Yes. And instead of just saying, let's move him, like they all know who he is. We've been introduced to who this person is. And he says, let's move the founder of our regiment. In case we'd forgotten who who this person was. That they mentioned it 500 times. That we'd just been introduced to. And, you know. So things like that just kind of hit you over the head and go, yeah, Yeah. okay. It's like now I'm going to walk left foot, right foot, left (laughs) foot, right foot. That's so true. That that stuff happened all the time in the script. Yeah, it's it's weighed down by really heavy exposition. And the score is also working extra hard to keep the tone and pace Mm. during all this long-winded exposition. Yeah. You know, one minute – it's bogged down by desperate chunks of exposition. It does come mm. across as quite desperate. Like what comes across as desperate? The dialogue. Like, yes. here's my point. Here's yeah. my point. Listen to my point. This is what's happening. Yeah. You know, and... But they're all competing against each other. Yeah. Within the scene. It's wild. And then it leaps into a bit of action mm. before the climax becomes decidedly anticlimactic. Yeah. But do you think they were going for a sinister tone at the end? Because it really drags out at the end. To be perfectly honest with you, I was so checked out by then. (laughs) I actually don't really know. The tone of the film really had me scratching my head as well, Lee, because in one breath it was trying to be a comedy, then the next a mystery, Mm. uh, a love story about friends and third wheels, also throw in some drama. The rhythm of the scenes were just so awkward that it could never find its feet in what it was trying to say and how it was trying to say it. Do you know, I didn't mind the comedic elements so much and I quite liked what the actors were doing with it. I just don't think it nailed it. It didn't work. In the script. It didn't nail it. it Nothing gelled together in this movie. And it's too long. Mm. It is really too long. Two hours, 15. Yeah, they could have shaved a lot of time in a tighter edit, Mm. not just by slashing scenes and dialogue, Mm. but there's long pauses between the line delivery too. How awkward is that? Between scenes and you're kind of like, is this done? Yeah. Can we move on? Just a little tighter edit there, please. Just like bridge that gap. Just to build on that, things just happen. People just come and go constantly. And a result of that, 
I found the immense star power of this ensemble cast so distracting. Yeah. Because it's like, here's Zoe Saldana, then here's De Niro, then here's Rami Malek, then Anya Taylor-Joy. Don't forget about Margot and David. Here's uh, John Alice, David. Here's Alessandra Nivola. Yeah. It just, it was... Oh, and Mike Myers, who, to be honest, <laughs> Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was dizzy instead mm. of giddy about this movie because it was just all over the shop. It's like, the movie's full of them. Let's stuff a few more in. <laughs> but they kept returning. They kept coming back. No one really seemed to have a place in this movie. They just kept showing up constantly. I think that's a good way of putting it, that nobody really seemed to have a proper place. Yeah. I think they could have shaved a few characters off and really focused on these three central characters. I completely agree because and within still, that was a great story. And still have the political subplots, if that's what you want, mm. and just flesh it out with those three a little more. But David O. Russell wanted his cake and eat it too here, it seems. This is where you can have a problem when it comes to the auteur writers and directors that have too much control and they don't have the checks and balances in place. Mm. Although I do understand that Christian Bale was heavily involved in the development of this story over a number of years. Mm. He was a producer on the film too. Yeah, My understanding is that as well. They started working on the film five years ago. Mm. So it's been in development for a long time. I mean, this is David O. Russell's first film in seven years since Joy. And I'd read that they kept bringing pieces and pieces and rearranging things. And Mm. and that's what it comes across like on screen. It's like a puzzle that doesn't quite fit together. Because too many cooks in the kitchen. Even Christian Bale, I read, was involved in the edit of the movie. So not only in the script development and working with David O. Russell in that point of the production process. And then obviously on set doing Mm. their thing there. But also in the friggin' edit suite. I was going to say there wasn't enough cooks in the kitchen because he had too much control over this. Well, he he also brought in Rami Malek into the edit suite. He leaned heavily on Margot Robbie, right, who's, who's okay. an accomplished producer. So interesting you say that, but I actually am on the other side of the fence. I think he was trying to collaborate too openly with too many people. Right, And okay. it resulted in a really mishmash product at the end yeah, of the day. a bit messy. You might be messy. right about that. Mm. Let's talk about David O. Russell for a second as a director. He's a five-time Oscar nominee. He has a reputation for critically acclaimed films, but also really deplorable behaviour on and off set. And I don't think we can talk about this film without touching on some of this stuff very lightly. Yes, it's important. George Clooney, Lily Tomlin and Amy Adams have all publicly admitted being on the receiving end of his aggression on set. Mm. And he has admitted to groping his transgender niece because he was curious about her breast enhancements. Sickening. And when questioned about it, said that she was acting provocatively towards him. Like, ooh, 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 ooh. No, no, no. No. You know, I find it hypocritical that someone can be such a huge advocate of mental health and a lot of his films really explore this, as I've said, mm. yet behave in such a detrimental way to the mental health of others. Yes. And then, again, it's this whole sentiment in Hollywood where actors constantly go back to work Mm. with these creatives despite the things that are known about them Mm. within their place, like their behaviour and and the awful things that they've done to people. Yeah, see, it's a really tough topic, isn't it? Does Mm. Hollywood turn a blind eye to these people Mm. and should people be allowed to continue working? There's a lot of leeway, it has to be said, given to white men in particular in the name of making great art because he is an Oscar nominee and his films are critically acclaimed. Does Mm. he get away with a lot more? But there are levels, you know, it's not black and white and cancel culture is problematic in itself. Don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing this behaviour in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying that humans are flawed and we need to be able to evolve and correct mistakes 
You know, we live in a society that believes in rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. So the important thing is, is remorse shown and are the behaviours corrected? Yes. And I think on this film, everyone has said that he was a joy to work with and it was a joy to work on. So is this him redeeming himself? I don't know. I I think what's really important is that the dialogue that comes from David O. Russell and the surrounding people that he's involved in is consistent and clear and open and he's talking about that. He needs to acknowledge his behaviour. I don't think he does though, does he? Yeah, I was going to ask you, I haven't come across anything where he has acknowledged it and shown remorse, Mm. but here he is making another big budget Hollywood epic with huge names within the industry still, Mm. people that are continuously coming back to work with him despite it all. I think what we'll be telling is if this film doesn't do well and I don't think it will do as well as his other films, Mm. how Hollywood reacts then. Yes. It's all about the bottom line, isn't it? Which is really fucking sad. Yes, but it is a business, isn't it? Which is the sad truth of it all. There was one thing Mm. that I wanted to call out here before we move on into characters and performances. Did you clock that Drake is an executive producer on this film? No, I didn't. How random. I don't know what that means. But then again, Taylor Swift is in it. Okay, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to talking about Taylor Swift just in a hot minute, okay. but do we want to talk about our three leading stars? Yes. Do we want to start with Christian Bale? Sure. He gives 110% to everything he does and he disappears once again into this unkempt war veteran doctor who's mm. trying to live an honourable life. I really enjoyed the character and I really enjoyed his performance. He is a very well-known method actor mm-hmm. and I want to read out a quote from Zoe Zaldana yes. who is in the film. So she said of his transformation on MSTEM, that it was truly remarkable and I quote, you never really meet Christian, she says. It was my second time working with him, which was wonderful, but I still do not feel like I really know Christian. How wild is that? You meet the characters that he brings to life, which is just so inspiring and exciting, but you have to hold your own because you find yourself looking up to him so much because he surrenders blindly to the craft of the story for the sake of his character. And that's what makes him one of the best actors of his generation. I just love, particularly one of the things about him as an actor that I really admire is how he physically brings his characters Mm. to life. His physicality is amazing. And the quirks about the look of his character here, as well as how he moves his body within the space, Mm. is so brilliant to watch. It is. And this one, he's very stooped over because he's got a lot of war injuries. and Yes. Yeah. And his glass eye as well. (laughs) It keeps popping out and finding itself in all all these precarious situations. One thing I did notice, and like, that his scarring around his eye changed quite a bit. I think he was wearing a cover at one point, but then sometimes he wasn't wearing the cover. And I was like, where'd the cover go? I think like the character was wearing a cover. Yeah. But then in the next shot, he wasn't wearing the cover. And I was like, what? He tended, I noticed that too. He tended to put the cover on, which was like a very poor attempt to make his eye look any better. I actually think it looked worse (laughs) depending on what sort of social situation he was in, especially with Mm. his Park Avenue. Is it Park Avenue? Yeah. Yeah. The Park Avenue world that his in-laws are from. He would always slap on that sort of cover for his scar. Mm. So he looked more presentable, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it kept coming and going and it was a bit distracting. But he still had this wild, unkempt, curly hair. Yes. Which you know was based off the cinematographer. Yes. Yeah. How cool is that? I love That's that. That's very cool. Margot Robbie. Isn't love, she great? Love Margot Robbie. She's wonderful. And as always, she's giving a fantastic performance as this bohemian style artist and mm. adventurer whose joy for life is sucked out of her by her family. Yes. She just wants to break free. And I wonder whether Rami Malek sang that song on the set as he has played. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Queen frontman Freddie Mercury. Uh, that was a, a tenuous link there. Yeah. Bale's character describes her as she was brilliant and nuts, but our kind of nuts. And I quite like that yeah. as a wrap up of her character. That's cool. And then we've got John David Washington who I'm kind of annoyed was wholly wasted and relegated to a love interest. There could have been so much more meat on the bones of Mm. his character. He was the straight man, I guess, because you Mm. had Christian Bale, who was quite quirky and loud as a Mm. character. Margot Robbie had certainly her quirks. Mm. So John David Washington just had to chill. But But this is where it's uneven too, because at one time it's a three-hander with the three of them together and they're equal billing. And Mm. then the other time it's kind of like two and one and two and one. And it doesn't quite work. And I don't understand why they had to become a couple. Yes, I agree. I think the platonic friendship was so much more interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. That is a good take out here. Okay, Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Bless her heart. Oh, really? <laughs> Liz Meekins, she plays in this movie. Yeah. But for a very hot brief, minute, yeah, very <laughs> briefly. Very briefly. What did you think of her performance? Look, with all due respect and kindness, she cannot act. No. She needs to stick to her incredibly successful and brilliant singer-songwriting career. I love her as an artist, but here, whoa. Do you no. know what? No, I've seen her in some other things and she's not too bad. But character acting is quite another level. Yes. And it doesn't quite work in this period sort of setting, I don't mm. think. And she... also the script that David O. Russell yes. had written did not do her any favours in her ability to find that voice either, I think. And she randomly starts singing? Oh, I mean, she's Taylor Swift. Yeah, no, so. no, but... <laughs> I know, it makes no fucking that's, sense. That's obvi- it was made no sense, but it was obviously forced into the script because it's Taylor Swift. Yes. I don't think that needed to be a name actor at all. Well, I mean, she's not a name actor. She's a name person. Okay. And she's certainly not going to be an actor for much longer after this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, honestly. Honestly. Tay-Tay. Tay-Tay. Oh. <laughs> it hurts you to say that, doesn't it? I, I love her. Yeah. I do, but, you know. She ain't going to accept any Oscars anytime soon. It was the wrong casting choice. It was. Poor thing. Zoe Zeldana is fantastic as well. Here she's a lonely autopsy nurse. Mm. Bit of a love interest for Christian Bale's character. Yes, a bit weird. I didn't quite feel that. She didn't need to be there. No, but again, she was another cast member that just kept fucking showing up randomly throughout the movie. Lots of stuff happened to her off screen and then she shows up. She's like, oh, I've got a broken wrist. Yeah. Cool. How did that happen? And how about when he resets the wrist? And then they have a smooch. I can still hear the crack. Yeah. (laughs) And then they have a smooch. Yeah. People keep just popping in and out and it's like too many, too many. There's wonderful two-handers going on between these actors. Yeah, because they're fantastic. Because they're fantastic. But it's just like why are they there? Why are we having this conversation? And why did she break her wrist? And And then Alessandro Nivola is a hapless racist sidekick detective. (laughs) He was the most bizarre character in this film. He was really strange. That was where the tone just didn't work. The comedy. He was a fucking idiot, this character. He was so dumb and I was so annoyed by him. But not dumb enough for it to be really funny. No, exactly. Why? Why? He's a great accomplished actor. Even he couldn't make that work. Can you remind me as well? Mm Mm-hmm. Where was Timothy Oliphant? Because I am a sucker for Timothy Oliphant. I love him. And I do not remember at all where he is. He was right at the beginning. He accuses them of that murder that happens at the beginning of the film. No. Yes, that's him. That was him. It was them. It was them. And they run away. Just before we go back to flashing back to 1918. That's him. And he does show up again, I believe. But to be honest, I was so checked out. That's barely even a cameo, man. Yeah. That's all he was. They're putting in these huge actors for like the tiniest of little cameos. He is a great actor, I agree. No, he's just awesome. Speaking of great actors, Robert De Niro. Yeah, we can't go past Bobby D. Bobby Bobby D? (laughs) Bobby D. You best mates, are we? Yeah. So he shows up 
towards the end of the film. Mm. He's worked with David O. Russell quite a quite bit. A few so times. that's why I guess he's On there. Joy, Civil Unders yeah. Playbook, yeah. I think he was a great casting choice for yep. this role. Again, they could have weaved him in a lot sooner. Yes. And made it clearer who he, he was. Because he was very important to the story. Yeah, and I didn't really fully understand his significance. Well, until the end credit scene when they play a scene yes. side by side. So he's based like, on oh, a he's, okay. he's based on a real character, but he's yes. a fictionalized version of this real character. Which is what this film does as well. It balances fact and fiction, but it leaves you no more Wiser. wiser at the end of the day (laughs) as to what the hell happened in the 30s around this series of events. Right, yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about the style and the costumes and the sets because that's something this film really nailed. Absolutely. Albert Wolski's costume design is Mm. wonderful but also understated. Yeah. You know, the aim is obviously not to distract from the incredible cast and their performances. Mm. Um, He's done Ad Astra, Charlie Wilson's War, Revolutionary Road. So he's very familiar with the period pieces. What did you think of his costuming? I liked it. I specifically liked the balance of finding the characters of a certain class, stature, Mm. and then also their look, their own fashion, their own style. So Mm. everyone was very, very lovely to look at in that sense. And there was a very consistent uh, approach that they made to the film. And Margot Robbie's top hat is very jaunty. (laughs) I got, um, you know, when they're approaching the house, I got Clockwork Orange vibes because of that top hat. I was going to say she was a bit like Ethan Hawke's child snatcher in the black phone. Holy shit. She was giving off grabber vibes. I was vibing the energy in that scene, but yes, that is so (laughs) true. Oh, my God. Oh, God, it all looks really fantastic, Mm. but it's just a bit wasted. Can I specifically talk about the production designer, Judy Becker? Because. This film is stunning to look at. Wow. Mm-hmm. You said the visual stamp on this movie has really been nailed. But Becker worked closely with art director Danielle Osborne to create and procure all of the artwork Valerie makes from shrapnel removed mm. from the soldiers, working with the London-based visual and sculpture artist Linda Sterling, who created most of the pieces. But did you know that Margot Robbie did create a few of her own? Did she? Yeah. I wonder which ones, though. The teapot? Oh, the t- I, that teapot was probably one of my favorites. The veil with a bit of shrapnel in it? That was fucked. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> it I just found dark. it really dark. Yeah. <laughs> really dark. Yes. Would not wear that walking down no. the aisle. Lots of mosaics and mm. x-rays and, yeah, it was quite somber, wasn't it? Yeah. She was a peculiarly dark character but quite optimistic at the same time. Yeah. So Macabre was, yes. but also jaunty. Yeah. I like this word jaunty. I'm going to use it a couple more times in this <laughs> I <love> episode. <laughs> Should we wrap up our review of Amsterdam? Yeah, let's give it a go. So David O. Russell returned to direct his first feature in seven years with Amsterdam, but I think he needed a longer break. Despite strong performances and a wonderful visual tapestry, Amsterdam is a mess. Its tone is confused, its story lacks tension and cohesion, and its runtime had me checking my watch. It lost me very early on in the piece and it couldn't pull me back in. Bale's character exclaims early in the film of his current predicament, what fresh hell is this? And my sentiment about this film isn't too far off from that, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rate Amsterdam two popcorn kernels. There's a simple story at the heart of Amsterdam about liberation and love, but this buddy-style comedy is dragged down by unnecessary supporting characters and convoluted meandering narrative detours that never come together well enough to create an exciting mystery. I was also checking my watch. I'm going to give it two popcorn kernels purely for the cast and the fact that there was a nice story in there somewhere. There was somewhere. I might be being generous though. (laughs) I think I am too. Well, Amsterdam is in Australian cinemas from October 6th if you want to check it out. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, Tim, on to the news. The first teaser trailer for The Sun was recently released and your podcast hosts here could not be more excited about this one. It's the anticipated follow-up for Oscar-winning writer, director and playwright Florian Zeller, whose directorial debut, The Father, also won Anthony Hopkins, his second Oscar, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. We love (sighs) this filmmaker. We loved The Father. Well, The Sun is based on Zeller's play Les Fils and stars Hugh Jackman, Vanessa Kirby, Anthony Hopkins and Laura Dern. And the story follows a man whose busy life with his new partner and baby is thrown into chaos when his ex-wife turns up with their teenage son. What did we think of the trailer? I am really invested in this story. I think it's going to be really exciting. Mm. Really tense, really character-driven, just... Oh, Brilliant wait. performances. Now, you, you've called this. You've been saying this quite vocally. You reckon this could be Hugh Jackman's Oscar. It could be. Yeah. Mm. Oh, we're manifesting that, friends. So make sure you check out Popcorn Podcast interview with Florian Zeller over on YouTube. We had the most wonderful and inspirational chat with the director right before his Oscar oh, win. It was so awesome to chat to him. One of your favourite interviews it you've is ever done. absolutely one of my favourite interviews ever. Love it. Robert Eggers' Nosferatu is building an incredible ensemble cast with news that Nicholas Holt and Lily Rose Depp are circling the project. Bill Skarsgård has also been cast as the titular vampire character. Although we don't know who Holt will be playing, we do know that Eggers Nosferatu will be a new reimagining of the classic gothic tale of obsession between a haunted young woman in 19th century Germany and the ancient Transylvanian vampire who stalks her. Vampire. Vampire. Can't wait to see this one. <laughs> that is not how a vampire sounds when they're sucking your blood, I'm sure. <laughs> We got another deeply emotional trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever this week. These trailers are killing me, I tell you. I, I mean, can't a box watch of, them anymore. A box of tissues every time. Gosh. We're edging closer and closer to the closing chapter of the MCU's Phase 4 with this one, and it's releasing in Australian cinemas from November 10. Okay, so let's break this down a bit. So the trailer gave glimpses of the tribute to Fallen King T'Challa, which has been written into the story due to the sad death of actor Chadwick Boseman from cancer about two years ago. We got some action shots of Ironheart and an incredible head-to-toe reveal of the new Black Panther suit. But Lee, Lee, Mm. who is the new Black Panther? Because mum is still the word on this one. Oh, I don't think so. I think everyone knows who it is. I mean, 
Okay. It's, it's cheery. Right. It's cheery. <laughs> okay. And I think this trailer revealed the markings on the suit, which are very similar to the tribal uh, markings of Shuri. I love that as an additional yeah. accent here. Brilliant. Gosh, I can't wait for but this. But there's also, Ooh. I don't know if it was this trailer or the last trailer, mm-hmm. there's a glimpse of a different suit. Is there more than one Black Panther? Or does Shuri redesign her suit at some point? I would... Not be surprised if either of those were true. Mm. Superheroes always redesign their suits. That's fine. There could be one at the beginning of the film, one in the final. Maybe it's Killmonger. Oh, oh my gosh! See, look. This oh no! Is wait, what did the he MCU die? Did, well. he, did he die? Oh, well, I can't remember. Who played him? Michael B. Jordan. No, he's still alive. Okay, well there you go. Yeah, so maybe he makes a triumphant return. Maybe. Who oh, knows? Only time will tell. Mm-hmm. When is it? November ten. Not yep. far off. So more trailer news this week with arguably one of the most anticipated of the year. I don't know why I started laughing already. <laughs> and I joined you. I know. The animated Super Mario Brothers movie delivered its first look at the film based on Nintendo's popular video game. And it showcases the characters and the voice work for these iconic characters. Now, I watched this with my husband, Josh, and I said, the visuals in this trailer. I love it. Oh, my God. It looks amazing. I could not believe how beautiful this animation looks. We're in for a treat there. Yeah. But, Lee, what do we think of the voice cast so far? I think most of it's nailed. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> most of it's really good. <laughs> yeah. We know where we're going with this, don't yes, we? let's do So, it. we heard from Jack Black as Bowser. Brilliant. Perfection. Amazing. Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. Amazing. Love it. And finally, mm. Chris Pratt as Mario. <laughs> Are you convinced <laughs> by his accent? Look, There's oh. been a lot of noise about this online this week, and I think it's just Chris Pratt doing Chris Pratt. Yes, and... Like, why? What the fuck, man? This character is so iconic. It needs the accent. Do you think they're worried about being insensitive? In which case... Cast an Italian. Or cast a trained voice actor. Yes. What a crazy concept that is. Do you know, Chris Pratt has done a lot of voice work, to be fair. But a lot of his voice roles are generally just Chris Pratt being Chris Pratt. And that's fair because that's what he's known for. That sound is familiar. I mean, the Lego movie. Yeah. Emmett, yeah, Emmett. His character Emmett's pretty cool. Yeah, but that's Chris Pratt. But this character is so iconic and his voice mm. is so iconic. Do you know what? I, I've seen so much noise about this online, like mm. you alluded to before. People clipping up, replacing the voice with one of the actually <laughs> oh, yeah. trained voice actors from the games, just playing over and over what Chris Pratt sounds like and everyone having an opinion. Yeah. I wonder if this is going to develop into a Sonic the Hedgehog yes. situation. You think they're going to change it? They're going to change it all. <sighs> Because you know what? Mike Myers, did you know this? He is obviously cast as Shrek mm. and he recorded the entire film with his native Canadian accent. And did then he? they spent millions of dollars re-recording all his audio to replace it to what we now know, Shrek, as a Scottish ogre. Right. So I wonder whether there's precedent here. That wasn't backlash to how he sounded. Here we're hearing what he sounds like. Yeah. Chris Pratt. Do you think they've started releasing these trailers so early? To gauge public interest. Are we like a quality control group for free? <laughs> Is this what's happening in Hollywood now? Where are my free samples? For a focus group. <laughs> yeah. Get it out. You know what? That's a great insight. I, I think you're onto something there. Look, I don't think he sounds great at all. Do you think maybe it's a case of Jumanji as well? What do you, what's that? So, you know, when the clips of Jumanji were released and everyone was like, oh, Karen Gillan's wearing absolutely nothing and sexist and blah, blah, blah. And oh. they're like, there's a reason for it. Hang in there. And it worked. And do you think maybe his accent will change somewhere in the film? <laughs> like just hang in there. Maybe they're pulling the wool over eyes and he's actually going to do the accent. How much did Chris Pratt? pay you to say this. <laughs> Which side are you on? Yeah, I'm I mean, being a little bit too optimistic today. Yeah. No, no, I admire the optimism because this needs to be done right. Yeah, it does. Gosh. All right. 
Well, the rest of the ensemble cast include Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach. We have Charlie Day as Luigi and Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. All great choices there. Uh, brilliant. And when will we find out how this all comes together, Lee? When's it coming out? So the Super Mario Brothers movie will level up the 2023 cinema season in April of next year. If they are going to re-record all of Chris Pratt's lines, <laughs> they better get onto it. They better get a wriggle on. <laughs> Okay, change of pace here. Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine production company is developing a Goldilocks and the Three Bears movie, it was revealed this week. So the reimagining of this classic tale will lean heavily into the title character as a powerful female protagonist, as Hello Sunshine is known for, Mm -hmm. and will mark the first partnership between Hello Sunshine and Build-A-Bear. Yeah. (laughs) We've heard it all now. Every, every toy is getting a film. Gosh. Yeah, so that's the global family-friendly branded toy and entertainment company. Now, Build-A-Bear Workshop President CEO Sharon Price John said in a statement, we are thrilled to partner with Hello Sunshine and Reese Witherspoon. You could feel the magnetic creativity in the air from our early discussion about the concept. What do you think this film's going to be? Do you think it's going to lean into the traditional story of the Goldilocks and the Three Bears? I wonder whether they're going to position it in a modern context. But also, it's quite a short story. Yeah. So, how are you going to flesh this out into a feature-length film? I don't know. Mm. I'm still wondering about the Uno movie. Was it the Uno movie? Yeah. Oh, my God. There are no stones unturned within the gaming toy world at the moment. Like you said before, Uno movie, Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Let's change gears now to biopics. There's a fashion house biopics seem to be all the rage across film and TV these days, especially for Jared Leto, who Mm -hmm. recently starred in House of Gucci as Paolo Gucci. <laughs> Oof. Alongside, <laughs> alongside Lady Gaga, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons and Adam Driver. This time around, Leto is going to play Karl Lagerfeld in a new biopic about the famous designer and Chanel's creative director. Details on the project are unknown, but it will dive into the key relationships in the late designer's life. And Leto has said in a recent interview that, and I quote, there are a multitude of relationships to explore. Carl had a career that spanned 50 plus years. So both personally and professionally, he was close to a number of people. I can say we are going to hone in on key relationships that convey different parts of his life. I think this is a great piece of casting. I think it was a phase some years ago that Jared Leto went through where he actually looked like Karl Lagerfeld. Right. His ponytail look. Yeah, and like really bleached blonde white hair. Oh, yeah, 30 Seconds to Mars sort of look at one point. Yeah, Yeah, his band. Yeah, Yeah. maybe. I I love this piece of casting too. I do too. too. But the thing is, this might be going into it too much, but he's the face of Gucci, right? Obviously he was in the Gucci movie and he promotes Gucci. This is leaning into Chanel. Mm. So I wonder how his manager has cut his contracts for him <laughs> yeah. to do this and promote Chanel in some way. Yeah. Mm. Well, Marvel's Blade has been hitting some speed bumps lately, which has pushed filming back to 2023. The film is a reimagining of the early 2000s action franchise, which starred Wesley Snipes originally as a half-mortal, half-immortal who hunts vampires. This one will feature Mahershala Ali, which was announced way back in 2019. Yeah, they've been sitting on this one for quite a while. You've been sleeping on martial art. <laughs> well, recently Blade lost its director, Bassam Tariq, due to reported scheduling conflicts 
even though it's been in development for so long. Mm. And now there are reports that the current script is not up to scratch and features only two lacklustre action scenes. Plus, it's said that the slow development process is beginning to frustrate its leading star. Well, understandably, I would, if that's yeah. correct. And two lacklustre action scenes. It's an action film. This is an action film. Please, bolster that bad boy up. Oh, yeah. So the film was originally slated for a November 2023 release date, but given it's only going to start filming next year, hopefully, mm-hmm. this will likely be pushed back into 2024. This is where, if I was Kevin Feige, I'd be stressed out of my brain because these films slot in strategically in mm. between other projects in order to connect the dots because yeah. they're also interconnected. So I think Kevin Feige might be stretched too thin. Do you think, Lee? <laughs> <laughs> Durr. Yeah, maybe that baseball cap's a little tight on his head at the moment. <laughs> needs to loosen the strap. Yeah, or he needs like a second Kevin Feige. He needs to clone himself. Do you know what? A multiverse Kevin Feige. Seriously. <laughs> that that could become reality. Yeah. I'm here for that. All right, Lee. Well, that about wraps it up for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast. We covered off David O. Russell's first film in seven years, Amsterdam. You can see Amsterdam in Australian cinemas from October 6th. And as always, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Come and join in on the conversation. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Popcorn Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.